This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. I'm really excited to speak to Mo because A, he has an extraordinary story, but also that story included building out of Facebook, Libra and DM, and then eventually led to Aptos. And it's really important for all of us in this space to not keep a closed mind and to understand all of the technological developments that are going on. And Aptos was a big technological development and is getting some serious traction. So it's all of our job to really learn from somebody like Mo what his vision is, what he's up to, where it's all going, and how he sees it all fit together. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Ralph Powell, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like. Mo, fantastic to have you on Real Vision. Thank you for having me, Raul. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. Lots to chat about. Uh, really interesting. But let's start a bit in how the hell you got here, because you've got a great story in itself. And I just think... People, you know, it's, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about technology and the opportunities, but really it's about people as well. So I'd just love to hear the story of Mo and how the hell you got here. Wow, that's a, I don't know how far back to take it. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I was um, a first generation Pakistani immigrant, uh, grew up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, which was an amazing experience in, in the utmost southern tip of an area called Brighton Beach, but uh, a very Russian uh, Jewish neighborhood. And there was this kind of Pakistani immigrant floating around, but um, I, I, I love the diversity of New York and, and um, really got to appreciate um, the dynamic personalities and, and everything there. Um, but the interesting thing was, you know, my, my father, he was, uh, you know, he was working four different jobs um, uh, trying, trying to make ends meet. And one of them was uh, a taxi cab driver. And the interesting thing there was he didn't really um, have an opportunity to take all that money home uh, with him at the end of the day. There was a taxi medallion owner where he would end up giving a lot of his money to. And I thought that was an interesting note. And I carried that with me throughout my life. You know, growing up in New York, you, you l- learn to love basketball and you kind of learn to love Wall Street, I guess. Um, I like both of those things. <laughs> uh, t- t- terrible basketball player, but decent when it came to, to, to math and numbers. Um, went to work in, in finance and I thought, you know, wow, I, I really made it. Um, when I was at places at, like BlackRock, I, I got to see portfolio construction and understand all the different complexities around how you build capital markets. And that same story that I talked about with my father, um, I saw that get played out in uh, in the world of finance, and it was kind of sad. You know, you have um, all these people that are creating value, but um, often, you know, just a handful of people end up making a lot of the money off of um, off of that uh, that hard work. Um, loved uh, what uh, folks like BlackRock were doing with technology and trying to solve um, issues and bring more efficiency into systems. Um, I got 
pushed by my mentor to eventually go to business school. And, and you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're young, you're working in, in, in New York and you're thinking, well, why do I need to go to business school? I've kind of made it already. You're this, you know, arrogant, uh, young professional. Uh, but I'm glad she really pushed me. Um, I, I made my way over to a university of Rochester. Um, I founded a startup while I was there, uh, but ultimately um, ended up joining a, a BCG as a, con, uh, as a consultant and moved to Dubai. And while I was in Dubai, the BCG had a group called um, Digital Ventures. They were trying to build startups within very large companies. And they asked, asked me if I was interested in uh, working on a blockchain use case in 2016. And I was like, well, uh, I guess maybe because I'm the only one that owns Bitcoin at the firm. Uh, Stop there a sec. Why did you buy Bitcoin? <laughs> because you were working the financial system, you saw it. And t- tell me that story, and then we'll catch up with Dubai. Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at the financial system, you see, you know, there are all these um, different pockets of uh, folks that are involved in this very complex value chain. And, you know, they all have a role to play. Um, you know, so some of them might be doing um, uh, providing risk uh, uh, solutions. Some of them might be providing KYC solutions. Others are doing all this kind of administrative uh, backend management of making sure things balance. And then, you know, you, you read the Bitcoin white paper and you realize very quickly that a lot of those inefficiencies could kind of go away with uh, with code. And so I thought that was just a very fascinating topic. I did not buy it because I thought it was a great investment. I actually thought it was a very cool technology. Um, and so... Uh, it, that's that's you know kind of what, what led me to buy uh, you know my first Bitcoin, and I'm, I'm very glad that I did, of course, uh, because I got to not only um, you know of course get some economic upside, but really learn about this technology in a meaningful way. You know, once you buy a Bitcoin or an NFT, your curiosity starts to deepen, and you go very deep into that uh, into that alleyway or that rabbit hole, and uh, it's hard to get, find your way back out. So. Yeah, because it was the same with me. I was in finance. I was at Goldman, and then I was running a hedge fund. And I saw the financial crisis and the European crisis. I was living in Spain. And I saw that basically at the heart of the financial system, nobody knows who owns what. And half the time, you actually don't own anything, which we're just finding out, and again, in the banking system. And that's what took, got me to Bitcoin in 2012-13, is I'm like, this blockchain is a real solution. Yes, the asset's neat, but the blockchain is a way of having recorded ownership and transfer of everything. It's kind of the same conclusion you saw from the same from the same thing, from seeing the financial system from the inside. So so well said. Um, it, the, the, the ability to actually have your ownership of that asset um, is incredibly powerful. And, you know, that doesn't mean you don't rely on other parties to own assets for use. There, there are scenarios you absolutely might want that. Uh, but the ability to actually, um, you know, say, I own this, it's on my you know, on my hardware, um, that is incredibly empowering for an individual. And yeah, to, to your point, it's so so cool uh, to, to be able to do that with large amounts of value in a seamless way today. Yeah, because bearer assets basically don't exist. So they're so hard, right, to have <laughs> share certificates or gold in a vault. And this technology allowed you to have bearer assets in a digital world. It's like, okay, this is amazing. I, uh, so, yeah, yeah I, cool. I, I didn't imagine we'd be talking about bearer assets, but imagine taking that one step deeper and talking about derivatives and all these complex structured products that exist on top of them, even those, how, how difficult is it to trace back ownership and who gets what in what order? And yeah. That's exactly my point is the derivative collateral pool is small and has multiple rehypothecations within it. So the issue is, is you don't know where the daisy chain of collateral lies and who owns what fraction of what. But if you've got it on stored on a blockchain, you can do that. The other thing that it's bloody obvious to me is OTC derivatives are just NFTs. 
Because they're just unique contracts. Uh, yep, that's a that's a very excellent way of uh, of, of of placing it. I uh, and and, I, and by the way, I to, I totally agree. I totally agree. So I mean, I, I think uh, folks at Goldman are probably very happy that you're uh, talking about this uh, this space. Then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think most of the financial system. We'll come on to that in a sec. But uh, most of the financial system guys do understand it. You know, everybody's building, regardless of what public statements are made. I mean, everybody's involved. So, okay, let's catch up with where we were. So you're in Dubai. BCG says, join the blockchain thing. You're like, okay. <laughs> okay, I, I, scr- I scratch my head. Um, I, 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 joined, I joined the case. Um, and, uh, you know, there's always great research that comes out of these cases. And um, I had a chance to connect with um, Joel Lubin, one of the founders uh, of Ethereum, um, and, uh, you know, the, the founder of Consensus. And they were building some really cool things there. And, um, you know, I, I, some things I understood and others... I was just kind of curious, like, you know, why would someone want, um, you know, a, a, a completely decentralized version of a custodian solu- uh, custody solution or a, um, you know, de- decentralized versions of um, infrastructure to, uh, to, you know, access nodes on, on Ethereum or validators on, on the Ethereum protocol. And so um, Infura, Truffle, MetaMask, all these products um, ended up joining consensus to, to lead their strategy team. I um, mean, got to work on some of these very cool things and not only understand that, but help uh, shape some of their roadmap. And so um, it was just an amazing experience um, to see the, you know, what once was a, uh, a technology that, you know, used by a handful of people very quickly scale up um, uh, through very good tooling and, and community uh, to now being a household name across the world. And so Ethereum has been, you know, um, incredibly interesting um, as not only a protocol, but folks like uh, Consensus and and Joe and the team have done an amazing job uh, helping with the adoption of that of that protocol. Um, while I was there, I was thinking about actually everything you just mentioned, right? Like, how do you um, apply this technology and and things like smart contracts, programmatic execution, transparency into the system into capital markets? Um, and I founded my my second startup called Meridio to do just that. We were focused on real estate at the time, uh, so tokenization of real-world assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you do it in a way that, you know, if, if Mo and Raul wanted to own a piece of a house in Brooklyn, um, we could do it. And maybe Mo and Raul are also uh, tenants and we live there. But the cool thing is now not only are we tenants, but we have even deeper incentive because we're tied together in the, in the ownership of this house. We don't own the whole thing, and that's okay. But just to own even a piece of it is so empowering to an individual, right? Going back to the theme of ownership. And so um, I thought that was incredibly empowering for many of the people in the world that can't um, afford to own a home wholly. Um, you know, they can own a piece of it and, and be part of a deeper community. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. I've looked at this at depth and it's been frustratingly slow to see real world assets like real estate getting on chain but you know i live in the cayman islands and cayman islands is quite typical even though it's it's relatively balanced in society we still have quite a lot of rich and poor so the rich people own all of the fancy apartments on seven mile beach and they're 10 15 20 million dollars the regular caymanian person doesn't get access to that now as we know scarce assets go up more in price than more abundant assets so the rich get richer, and they may be some of the big families from the island or foreigners, mm. but the average person just sees this and feels left out. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking here to people to say, can you not tokenize it and either sell it to the pension system so everybody can have a share or allow people to invest? So at least if we can all invest 10% of our 
net worth in the same assets, that's incredibly empowering. Absolutely. And it's an excellent point because in that um, scenario, as you know, the Cayman Islands continues to uplift its economy and prices go up, um, displacement uh, then could potentially not be as jarring, right? You can say, oh, well, the average individual was able to capture some of that upside because real estate values went up and we own a piece of that. And so um, it is it to- totally, I mean, couldn't agree more. Um, uh, I think these are you know fundamental opportunities for, again, average individuals that just feel so far and distant, right? Even signing up for a brokerage account to get access to a REIT. I mean, which REIT do you get access to? And what, what does that REIT hold? And there all, there's all this overhead and complexity. And so, you know, we do think these um, these uh, systems uh, can design much more efficient ways of getting access. Yeah, because, you know, also, look, I'm half Punjabi, so I was on the Indian side and you're from the Pakistani side. But look, if you think of a city like Bombay, Mumbai, right, this is happening at scale because there's such a shortage of land. And you're displacing people out of the cities and there is ways to allow people to participate in that. I think Yatsui and I were talking about this, and I think there's a term which is somewhere more like universal basic equity, because you can participate in the communities that you're part of, uh, which I think is a big unlock that's coming out of this whole Web3 revolution. It would be um, very cool to see um, cities like Mumbai and, and countries like India or, or, or other um all these all these countries that are going through a massive economic growth um i mean all the growth is, is really coming from a lot of um, asian markets outside of you know markets that we're we're so used to and and to your point you know some of the, the that growth is not captured by the people and so if we can provide universal big basic uh economic activity i guess equity, equity. um yeah. uh, i gotta get that that's that's a great that's a great uh, phrase um that would be um, that would that could change the way we th- you know as a society function. Um, how, how much closer would we be to our people um, in these different communities? It would be it'd be very cool to see. Because I've been thinking through obviously the displacement of AI and all of this stuff. We're going to have to give people a chance to participate, and I think community is that way. Now it could be a neighborhood in terms of if things are tokenized, you can take economic participation in your neighborhood without being yeah. rich. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, kind of. Yeah, if, if if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share one more example on that, right? Like, um, you, you, how many times have you seen the? I mean, I, I, again, being in New York, you see the neighborhood grocery store, the restaurant, often really struggling, and that's because all you can do as an individual in that, uh, as a neighborhood community member, is just go shop at that restaurant, but or, or uh, shop at that grocery store or eat at that restaurant. You don't. How often do you eat at a restaurant? Maybe not as often, but imagine again, you can own a piece of that restaurant and empower them in other ways and. And so even that money would be really valuable to the restaurant owner or the corner grocery store owner um, where they wouldn't have to go out and seek capital uh, that may be even more expensive. And, you know, who, who benefits from the, uh, uh, that capital, right? Who, where does that interest go? Um, instead of going to a bunch of different people, that money can potentially stay in communities and could be, you know, very, very, uh, very valuable for the growth of those communities. Yeah. I mean, look, it's really fascinating. I think people don't think far enough out of where this could go because they're all focused on where it is today. And I just I just find it a very intellectually interesting exercise to break down the component parts of what we take for granted as it is so and say, well, it doesn't need to be so. It can be done different ways. And I think it's just super interesting. So it must have been exciting for you to have been at consensus at the time, to have seen 
because that was early stage, really. Yes, Ethereum had launched, but you're really, you know, part of the strategy role is is growing that ecosystem. And so why did you decide that you were going to try and tokenize real world assets? And because it's hard, right? Because you've got a lot more middlemen to fight than a pure ecosystem like Ethereum, where you're not kind of fighting the system yet. But with real estate, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of it was just my my passion. Um, yeah, but the, my, my my father having to work for jobs was, um, you know, very uh, humbling and, and uh, very powerful for me to see. Um, you know, we lived in a, a basement apartment until I graduated from college, um, and that's that wasn't by choice. That was because we just couldn't afford to uh, to, to move out. Um, but even if we were again able to own a piece of that property in in, in Brooklyn, which ended up increasing in such uh, great value, we would have been able to buy a place at some point instead of having to go from you know renting one place to renting another place. And so you know, thinking about this problem and um, just understanding that it's it's so widely spread. To your point, from the corners of of Brooklyn to you know the corridors of Mumbai or or Karachi or wherever. You know how how can you solve um, and, and create these um, uh, uh, solve for that economic gap, and and you do see models out there, right? Tenants in common do exist, single asset REITs do exist, but they just also feel so out of reach. Uh, uh, reach, but at the same time, they are also there's a lot of overhead with them, a lot of inefficiencies with ma- issuing those assets and managing those assets, the transparency of those assets, and 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 um, and and whatnot. So. You know, when I realized things like smart contracts um, on on Ethereum or Solidity, um, using Solidity could could be um, sol- potential solutions. Uh, we thought this was something that you know could solve the problem, and so you know we worked with some of the world's largest uh, real estate owners and asset managers to to craft a solution. Um, and you know, we we brought it to market. It was it was called Meridio, and we do it we did it in a very compliant way. I think the beauty of of you know securities markets is. You know exactly what is a security. It's a Reg A or Reg B um, uh, asset, and you know exactly how it needs to be structured. But you know, imagine walking into a room of uh, you know suits that I used to once wear, um, and so self-deprecating here. But uh, and, and and regulators and saying, oh, how do you buy these shares? Well, you buy them with this stable co- coin called Dai. Oh, what is Dai? Uh, it's this algorithmic stable coin backed by ETH. Uh, what, uh, what what do you mean? I mean, people literally, I think, wanted me to get the hell out, like get the hell out of the room. Uh, uh, oh, how do you custody uh, custody these things? Oh, you custodied yourself. It's so cool. You get this MetaMask wallet. Oh, what is MetaMask? Oh, let me show you on on this Google Chrome uh, uh, plugin that I have here. Oh, what happens if you lose your password? Oh, there is no password. There's no password. It's this crazy alphanumeric key that you have to uh, write down and put it in your pocket. Uh, well. What if it gets compromised and you lose it? Your well, your shares are gone. Well, how do you make the cap table whole? Like all these questions came up, and you know, the more I was answering these questions, I I, I also kind of asked myself, like, I do sound like a crazy person at times trying to answer these things. And so, the solution and the technology just wasn't there at that time. Um, so, you know, although the idea and the concept sounds amazing, and, and yes, you can add all these efficiencies, we definitely face challenges with the technology and just not being mature enough the user experience not being great enough to solve for these things. And so, you know, we ran into a host of um, uh, parties that were excited about this, just as you are and, and, and I am, uh, but they also were kind of bogged down by, well, there's no way that millions of people are going to use MetaMask to own shares of real estate. Uh, they, they, they're not going to get comfortable. Um, regulators across the world are not going to get comfortable with uh, algorithmic stable coins. 
Um, and so, you know, th- that was that, that's kind of the Meridio story. But, you know, fast forward, the, the landscape today is incredibly different. Um, you have companies like Circle that have solved the stablecoin-ish uh, problem, right? And you have uh, stablecoins out there that represent one-for-one digital dollars. And we, we experienced some of that um, uh, story ourselves from, from our early Facebook days uh, working on, on Libra and DM. Uh, but that, but that's a you know multi-billion-dollar uh, currency, digital dollar that's used by uh, people across the world, which is incredibly powerful when you think about money transfer. My theory on that is that is just tokenized euro dollars. So the euro dollar market is the offshore dollar funding market, right? Of which normal people don't get access to. So if you go and speak to family members of yours in Karachi, they're like, "Well, I can't get dollars. I can't go to the bank, and if I do, I can get you know twenty dollars or whatever it is." But what stable coins is is the democratization democratization of access to the US dollar, which is the world's most powerful instrument. It's yeah. it's amazing. People, again, people don't realize it. They're like, oh, it's just some mechanism for crypto to work. It's actually not. It's one of the single most important. Only really is it started to dawn on me how big and how important Imagine, it is. Imagine, I mean, you're in a hyperinflationary country, um, uh, right? And, and how scarce dollars are. Um, now you have access to them. And, and yeah, it's, it's so, so uh, powerful and so cool to see. Yes, there's digital dollar. I think digital euros are right around the corner and I'm sure pound and other currencies. And so the access to these currencies is just going to become um, uh, un- unbelievably easy to, uh, uh, to obtain going forward. So um, very empowering. I mean, what was, uh, just to get into the Facebook yep. story, I saw that immediately and thought, this is so disruptive because if you can create a basket of of world currencies that's not necessarily the US dollar, it creates a global currency. It was amazing how fast the regulators figured that out as well because the world's biggest network then basically has a global currency. Yes, it's it's not inventing a currency. It's not Bitcoin. It's not a new currency. It's a basket, but the basket weighting doesn't necessarily have to be what the waiting was. How did talk me through a bit of that Libra journey? Sure. I mean, uh, uh, so I joined um, uh, to, to really help to go to market for uh, for the product um, and the project. And so, you know, w- to, to your point, right? Like when you think about currencies, there's there's so many shapes and forms. Um, I think what you called out a basket of currencies, currency exists today. It's called a special drawing right, um, issued and and uh, you know by by large uh, global financial uh, enterprises, right? Um, the IMF understands that there is a need for, you know, sovereigns to settle um, with each other and they don't want to take on maybe a different kind of geopolitical uh, risk. And so special drawing rights have been very powerful. Now, spe- tokenization of special drawing uh, rights could be, again, much more efficient uh, because you don't have to worry about uh, the overhead. In fact, you can uh, have algorithms that tie to the rebalancing, to your point, and making the special drawing right tie to, you know, whatever, um, you know, whatever the weight attributes, um, you know, parties agree to. And so that in itself could be a very powerful um, solution uh, that could exist on chain. And so Facebook um, uh, and, and the DM and Libra project were, to your point, um, if you read the original white paper, were uh, trying to create something similar. Um, and, and of course, you know, whenever uh, a large tech company or a bunch of companies come together, I think uh, regulators' uh, ears perk up, um, right, rightfully so, right? They are trying to pr- protect their people. And so we, we, we should appreciate that. Uh, but it was very challenging to get to market. But what was very cool about that technology was uh, uh, I, that project was the technology itself. We uh, looked at uh, things like um, Ethereum, uh, things like uh, uh, Bitcoin, and, and realized you know these protocols are great, but if billions of 
people need to use this technology to move money across the world, well, transactions can't settle at the rate at which they do on, on these existing protocols. They need to move just as fast as Visa, MasterCard networks. In fact, maybe even faster than those networks because you know Visa is processing around, what, 2,000 transactions per second? If you bring billions of people that are trading digital assets and, and money at the same time, you're going to need a lot more bandwidth, yeah, hundreds of thousands of transactions per second, potentially. And I mean, just look at games and how frequently uh, someone like EVE Online is uh, uh, transacting uh, with, with, with their gamers. And so, you know, paying attention to those types of user behaviors and those principles, we realized we, it might make sense to build our own blockchain. And uh, that was the uh, DM Libra initiative, as, as you mentioned. Uh, we created our own smart contract language called Move. Uh, Move is a deterministic hermetic language, but it's incredibly easy to learn. You don't have to worry about the, um, you know, the, the challenges of uh, a language like Solidity or even things like Rust. And the feedback has been great, by the way, so far on, on, on using Move. But you know, if you have lines of code that are capturing real dollar value or millions of dollars of value, you need that code to be easy to read and verifiable. And so we have things like the Move Prover, which is a formal verification engine that audits or takes a look at that code before it goes out into the wild. So we put in all these clauses, uh, these uh, uh, these components um, that were novel uh, innovations to make this technology, make blockchain technology scale for billions of people. At the same time, we were trying to figure out, well, this, uh, we need to support thousands of transactions per second at sub-second latency. And so, you know, thinking about this, of course, you know, we, we, uh, uh, we created this, uh, created the technology. And of course, um, today it, it uh, lives on as, uh, as Aptos. So we're, we're ha happy to go into that too in, in detail. But that's a little bit of the story. Okay, so you spin out of Facebook and you use Move to, to create Aptos. What's the idea? I mean, it's a big, brave move to go and set up, but I guess you've done it already within Facebook itself. But, you know, it's a competitive landscape and you've brought something different. Talk me through the strategy, the vision of what you were setting out to achieve, and then we can talk about where you are today. I mean, if you kind of tie in all kind of the L1s and L2s today, you barely have a million monthly active users. And so if you believe that blockchain technology will be used um, in a more ubiquitous way, um, it'll sit on the in the back end, just like the internet sits on the back end when you're on a Zoom call um, and having a conversation with someone. Then you know we need this technology to be uh, you know be able to scale. And so um, you know as as we spoke with other parties that were interested, whether it was investors or potential partners, um, you know it was amazing to find someone like Chris Dixon and A16Z aligned on that vision, uh, where you do need this, uh, you need serious technology, you need serious engineers, you need serious group of of, of people that think about things in a way that's different uh, than, um, you know, the, the, the current, the, the, the status as it was uh, within the, the Web3 or the blockchain landscape. And so um, people were very excited to partner with us. Um, you know, how, how often is it you find, um, you know, PhDs uh, uh, with, you know, cryptography experience and consensus mechanisms and high performance systems um, and, and folks with backgrounds at, like uh, at BlackRock and um, RBC and these financial institutions that can uh, solve these problems. Not just talking talk about them in theory, and so we, we did end up raising um, two hundred million dollars for our first round, which gave us a lot of confidence that the market believed in us and believed in the technology. Again, it was three and a half years in the making uh, before we even spun out, so there was you know it, it was visible and, and apparent that it would it would make its way out. Uh, but you know we're uh, we're very fortunate to have an amazing group of uh, uh, engineers on our team, 
uh, business people, marketing people that take going to market very, very seriously. Um, and so, you know, we, when we spun out, um, we were able to bring a, a, an amazing group of uh, talent uh, to Aptos. Um, we uh, launched four test nets last year um, and mainnet. Um, each one of those test nets were processing thousands of transactions per second. We were iterating on each one of those test nets. And, and Raul, you've been in the space. You, you see how slow and how hard it is to upgrade these protocols. It takes years. Um, and so we wanted to take a very different perspective of we want this technology to constantly evolve. And so uh, we ended up raising another $200 million because people saw the test nets go live. And were like, wow, this is some, there's something special here. Um, and so altogether, you're, you're right. We, we ended up raising a good amount of money, uh, but that money was put to, put to use and hiring some of the best uh, talent in the world and also bringing an amazing community around us to, to bring this project, uh, project to life. And so, um, you know, Aptos is live. You can use it. Um, it's, uh, we did some testing um, uh, the other day. There's uh, over 13,000 transactions that can be run concur- uh, today. We have amazing partners like uh, Google and Coinbase and um, other uh, large uh, companies and uh, amazing, you know, girls in, 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 in hoodies and garages that are building products across the world. So, um, you know, we're, we're, it, it's, been, it's been an a- absolute pleasure. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. So you've solved a technology problem. You've got a fast, scalable chain. The next part is, okay, great. How do we get past those million people into the one billion people? How are you thinking about that? Where is the big unlocks you? You know, I'm, I'm thinking of everything from ticketing through to, obviously, a lot of people are looking at gaming. I think tickets are probably an enormous one. Derivatives, it's another massive market for this. Stuff like that. Where, where, where are you thinking and how are you approaching the big pockets of opportunity to grow this space it's it's a great question right like how do you tell the world hey there's this new technology called the internet what industries do you think it's applicable to i mean all of them (laughs) and so you know where do you start becomes a very interesting problem to solve um and and you know luckily again we're we're not the first ones to market now you know other blockchains have been out and so we've seen market uh we've seen the market validate some use cases i think derivatives and DeFi has been a great um, uh, industry to, to, to pay attention to our industry vertical. Um, but we, we focus our efforts within four categories. Um, the first one is gaming. Excuse me. The second one is social media. Uh, the third is media and entertainment. And the fourth is finance. And so when we look at gaming, to your point, um, we see digital assets have existed way before we've, you know, Web3 has come along. People have actually uh, traded usernames in, in, you know, gray markets because they want to get a competitive edge. And so... They're, what are they trading? They're trading their digital assets, and but they're trading. They're really just selling their username and password. So, um, you know, how do we bring that to light? And this is a problem not only, you know, we were interested in solving, but also a lot of game developers and publishers and studios. And so, and gamers are absolutely interested in this as well, right? They want to be able to own assets in Fortnite and and share them with uh, with each other. How cool would it be if I? Role, I would love to meet you one day, but maybe I never do, right? Maybe we just get to hang out in the in the in, in a gaming environment. But I want to share things with you. I, we like hanging out. You want to share things with me, and so how do you make that uh, come to life? How do you make that ownership be real? You you can only do it on a blockchain, and you can only do it on a blockchain with high throughput and low latency, right? Like you don't want to wait for fifteen seconds. You don't want to pay high gas fees. You don't want to have to leave the game, go into a Chrome plugin, and so. Uh, you know, all these experiences have to come to life with just amazing technology, which is the thing that we pay attention to, the best user experience. And gaming 
um, has been a phenomenal use case. Uh, we have real games that are coming to life uh, within the next 12 months, over 20 games, which is really cool to see. But they're enabling all these things, uh, things like proof of play, randomization that's online so you can uh, on chain so you can see, you know, it's fair gameplay, you know, someone isn't really cheating behind the scenes here. Um, and so um, as the gaming industry continues to grow and evolve, we're very excited to be uh, the layer one of choice for uh, for a lot of these games. And so um, that's been a major industry for us. Um, the second is social media. Actually, sorry, media and entertainment. I'll, I'll talk about that one. Um, you know, to, to your point, you want millions of people to use these things. My first job, funny enough, was working at a movie theater. I used to sell and collect tickets. Um, and we'll get into ticketing too um, and, and, and clean the floors. But, you know, sadly, like once you leave the movie theater, your experience kind of goes away until maybe one day the movie makes it to your home. And uh, even that's evolved today. And so how do you continue that fan experience and engagement beyond the screen or, or the home theater? Um, you want to be able to have digital assets that might be collectibles, that might be uh, proof of uh, um, uh, uh, authenticity and, and also proof of attendance. And you can kind of take that with you across a, a bunch of different platforms. Um, we don't talk about this in theory of something coming in the future. We announced a partnership with NBC Universal. Actually, we didn't even announce just the partnership. We actually just announced the game uh, with uh, a movie called Renfield, uh, Nicolas Cage, a U.S. national treasure. Um, uh, and uh, he has this Dracula movie where uh, you, you can, uh, you know, you can squash bugs within a game. And you can earn a digital asset that represents a relic. It's all Dracula themed, and that and you own that digital asset. But in order to play that game, you just enter your phone number. You don't need a a, a, a massive alphanumeric key. You own an asset that you can claim through a digital wallet, just like you would lo logging into any digital wallet that you use today, PayPal or or Cash App. You can take that uh, digital asset with you and uh, exchange it for popcorn, theoretically. You can show it off to your friends and, and uh, exchange it with them. Um, and, and, you know, Fandango also is excited about this because they understand where that engagement could extend beyond just buying that ticket and, and, and take, it, uh, take it elsewhere. So, you know, folks like NBC and, and, and folks like Fandango really understand the power of, of this technology's ability to, um, you know, create a better experience for the user. But again, you, you can only do it with all that technology just sitting on the back end and no one really knows it's happening. And so, you know, we're doing that today and we're looking to scale that across a bunch of different Hollywood studios and movies to come. So we're excited about that. You mentioned ticketing. And so ticketing is very interesting because it, it's unbelievable to just get a piece of paper or a digital, uh, uh, you know, screenshot of an, of an event. Uh, why can't, like, if the two of us went to a concert and we really enjoyed hanging out at a, I don't know, a Cayman Island um, reggae fest. I'm just making, I don't know if reggae is the choice of music there. Yeah, um, but we really like the playlist of the DJ. And now I want to go to my Spotify account and I want to listen to that playlist. I want to relive that. Why can't I scan my ticket and, and do that? That seems like such a low-hanging fruit, right? Spotify should be thinking about this and, and, and other streaming uh, companies should be thinking about this. Some of them are, by the way, and we're, we're excited to be chatting with them. But, you know, the ticket should extend across a bunch of different platforms because it is your proof of attendance. That's right. And so um, we're, we're really excited to partner with a company called Kid Labs. It's KYD, Keep Your Distribution. And so all these, um, all these folks um, are solving these problems, uh, taking ticketing, you know, beyond just the physical event or even just the virtual event and extending that across a bunch of different platforms. So, you know, can you go from a venue to a digital platform or vice versa? 
and share these experiences in, in more powerful ways. And, and, and even, even if you want to sell your ticket, maybe that's okay, right? Like you, you, you have a ticket that's worth a lot of money and you can't make it to the Taylor Swift concert. That's okay. Um, you want to sell your ticket to Mo because Mo loves Taylor Swift and you know, there's scarcity. So maybe you can sell that ticket and make well, some money off Stop of it. Hub taking 50% of it. Bingo. And maybe Taylor Swift gets that money or the artist that, that jet, uh, is, is, is the one that's actually uh, benefiting um, or putting, doing the work uh, benefits from that. And so these models are just so powerful. And I mean, I've, you know, I've also been thinking through hotel rooms and airline tickets. These are things where we've all missed hotel rooms. We've had to pay for airline flights. If there's a market free market clearing mechanism, which is an NFT ticket, I can just say, hey, I can't come to New York next week. I've got a room available at anybody who wants it. Now, at least I can get some money back. They'll trade it at a discount, benefits a bunch of other people, or it may trade at a premium because <laughs> I've got some around the Football World Cup final and I've got hotel rooms. So very efficient capital allocation. Sounds like we need to get on the phone with Brian at Airbnb or, 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 or Marriott. I think it sounds like a great, uh, great idea. So. Yeah, and we've seen that Argentinian airline just start this as well. Uh, that's right. Who- All their tickets are NFTs, right? Um, that that um, so that's that's super cool. And so th- these concepts seem so foreign. Um, and Raul, I think you bring up an excellent point. Loyalty programs have existed for a very very long time. People trade loyalty points as well, by the way. Um, and so you know why um, why do things like NFTs feel so foreign and distant, or digital uh, versions of of, uh, of these um, uh, systems feel so distant? Um, we should, you know, I think we have an opportunity to create uh, clear communications around these use cases. And so, you know, we're, we're, it's not only about the technology to your point, but showcasing these experiences and doing it today, I think is really valuable. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think ticketing would be exciting. I, I think just kind of very quickly uh, on the other use cases, you know, we, we talked a little bit about stable coins and finance. We talked about, um, you know, DeFi has been uh, an amazing emerging technology um, or industry vertical. And so, you know, without um, having intermediaries, but still providing risk, KYC solutions are possible today. Um, and so you can know who you're transacting with in a pseudonymous way um, and have some comfort in, in DeFi trading pools without all the various overhead of, uh, of um, you know, the existing uh, capital markets or financial system. And so we're excited about uh, things coming to life there. But, uh, you know, these projects that are building uh, in, in the community on top of Aptos, they're taking advantage of uh, things like parallel transaction processing on our protocol. So, you know, you can move much faster. Uh, a transaction can move much faster and execute much faster on our, on Aptos than they can on any other protocol out there today. And again, that's been verified by Masari. Uh, we're the fastest live network in market today. Um, and, and, you know, so we've learned a lot of lessons for from, you know, all the other protocols of the past. And so um, it's it's been just so cool to see um, access to financial systems really open up in a powerful way and this is actually something we think uh, many parties around the world should be excited about. You know, uh, whether you're a regulator or just an individual trying to get access to uh, a system, um, you know, I think we could all get behind financial uh, in- in- inclusivity um, or unifer- universal basic um, equity. I, uh, I'm, 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 I'm loving that. <laughs> the other thing that I think needs a, the fastest solve, and it might be the biggest unlock of all, is digital ID. And I've been bleating on about this for a while because I saw this AI thing coming and I'm like, we are not ready for this. And we're so not ready going into a US election. We have no understanding of who is real and who is not. 
in a world where we all use our NFTs as PFPs, you don't know who the hell anybody is because the platforms aren't set up to actually prove your NFT. It's just an image right now. It's still just a JPEG for us. Um, but with AI becoming part of social media, the issue is of content and authentic authentication of content, which is hard because you can't put the video file on chain because we're just not technologically ready there to do it at scale yet. So somehow we have to watermark and validate. I don't know, how are you thinking through ID? Because, I mean, I've been speaking to everybody from Google to Meta to um, LinkedIn to Amazon to everybody saying, guys, you need to sort this out fast because we can break the whole fabric of society if we're not careful. Man, I mean, uh, it's it's been unbelievable to see um, the power of AI really get unleashed over you know, the last uh, quarter um, uh, in, uh, or in Q1 of 2023. Um, and uh, it, it feels jarring and it certainly could feel scary because it, to, to your point, you don't know, um, you know what you're getting. What is this output, right? Even if you enter something into ChatGPT, like what did it take into consideration, right? It's hard to trace that down today. Um, and so if you think about these um, large um, language uh, learning models, right, you need to understand, uh, you know, how trusted is the, res the source going into these models? Is it verified? Is it coming to your point from authenticated uh, parties? Um, and so even that, I think, as a starting point is extremely valuable. And, and I think, you know, you can't put large uh, vo volumes of data yet on chain. And um, although we, we, we are thinking about interesting storage models, uh, and that's something to come in the future. But, um, you know, if, if you do have some kind of uh, identity component to that uh, piece of uh, input, that can be very meaningful, right? Like the difference between model A and model B could be, I don't know what's in this versus this is has the green check or a blue check uh, because it has a verified input. And who, who do you think would be willing to pay for that? Probably a lot of people, right? I mean, people are using ChatGPT um, at work, right, uh, across the world. And so um, these verified uh, models and identity become uh, front and center when you're thinking about the concerns around um, AI. And so, you know, I don't know if it's happening too fast or, or we need to slow down, but we certainly need to think about um, uh, the AI landscape with Web3 at, um, at the focus, right? Uh, identity is a, is a critical component of that. You know, anyone can go out and uh, now create content. And how do you know if that's coming from your president or, you know, some uh, AI generated uh, output, right? And so you, um, you need, you, you can't, it's so damn good. And we should be very proud that it's so good. Like we have come a long Amazing. way as technologists, as a society, but it's scary because, you know, so you have to figure out how to verify that. And you need to be able to do that very quickly because, you know, content, as you and I know, can spread like wildfire in, in places like Twitter or, or we're on, on, on YouTube or wherever. And so, you know, we need verification to be part of these products and digital identity be baked in uh, to these products. Um, and we think Web3 is likely one of the only solutions out there in market. Um, and so, you know, how, how cool would it be to see that? You know, your LinkedIn posts, um, um, although AI ge generated, are verified output um, or, or even verified input. They're coming from the real role, right? It's not some uh, some botted content or some AI generated content. And um, uh, that's that's something we're working on um, uh, behind uh, a, a little bit more of a, a closed effort uh, just because uh, we're, we're, we're in beta right, or we're in alpha right now and we're not ready to share things. But um, there are large companies that we're working with to solve these problems uh, today. You can extend that, by the way, to not just um, you know video content, but also you know imagine all the input 
you know, if your Excel spreadsheet is taking an input and run creating models, and you've seen those demos that Microsoft has shared, I mean, if it's, we need those mod, that data and that input to be verified, you know, you don't want there to be incorrect information going into your financial model. And then you go out and make a financial uh, decision where millions of dollars could be at risk. And so there are, uh, you know, there's a very large market out there and propensity to pay. And we think, um, you know, uh, solving for verified identity and um, AI together is going to be a massive um, uh, focus uh, point for, uh, for Aptos and uh, for the space in, in 2023. So final question, when your outreach team, you know, are talking to corporations, financial players, gaming is more obvious. How far are these people in their knowledge? I mean, I, I, I built a co-founded another business called Science Magic Studios where we uh, are helping large corporations with large cultural communities create tokenized ecosystems for loyalty and other things, so whether that's car companies or sports teams and all of that stuff. So it's all in the same lines. But I, I just want to hear how you think these corporations and others, how far they are in understanding what this is. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, we've luckily have come a long way um, since Bitcoin and 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 Ethereum. Um, you know, it's been it's been a decade, and so I think uh, a lot of companies have become quite sophisticated. Uh, I mean, you, you have Goldman Sachs talk about their digital asset management platform um, and 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 do it very openly, and, and we think that's incredibly powerful to see because they understand what this technology could do. And so instead of being scared about it, I think people have learned. You know, digital disruption is very real and happens incredibly quick. And so instead of being disrupted or waiting, I think folks are building. And, and so we're, you know, we're excited because we can't uh, keep up with the demand for Aptos right now, uh, given, you know, we're the fa- not only the fastest uh, blockchain, but the most reliable blockchain. Um, you know, not being, uh, you know, paying attention to very real SLAs, again, coming back from our meta and Facebook days. You know, you can't afford for Facebook to go down. You can't afford for Visa to go down, and Aptos should not go down either. Uh, and so, um, you know, that's not the world that we believe in. And so, you know, a lot of our large enterprise partners uh, that we're working with understand that and have been building with us. And folks see what we do with NBC and others, and they're running to us. And so, we can't keep up with the demand. To your point, uh, it's a uh, it's it's actually really hard. Um, we're trying to grow our our partnerships uh, and BD team as, as, as fast as we can. But, you know, the other interesting thing is it's all kind of open, right? Like you don't need to really talk to us. You, you know, you want to go um, to tokenize Cayman Island properties, uh, you can do it right. yourself. And, and so of course, you know, we, we love it when people reach out to us and we're, we actually really like being helpful. So, um, you know, we, we're kind of shoulder to shoulder with our developers. Uh, in fact, as I'm sitting here in my office, uh, one of the Korean gaming companies that's building on top of us is actually hanging out with us. They visited us from Seoul and we're, you know, we're, we're building w- w- with them. You're invited to come as well. I, I'd love to host you here in Palo Alto. Not as sunny as, as, as your, your as Cayman Islands, of course. Um, but the interesting thing and, and maybe a little controversial is maybe we don't care if enterprises build on top of us or not. And that's kind of okay too, because, you know, would you have gone to Blockbuster and said, hey, you should put DVDs in an envelope and ship them around the world? Um, Hey, you should, uh, you should really think about uh, putting all your content on a database and uh, think about streaming. Maybe, but Blockbuster might be a little stubborn. And we all see what that stubbornness has um, caught, where that's led them. But you have new companies that are very, uh, 
very nimble. They're they're more bold. Um, they're entrepreneurs. They're willing to take on big, big markets and be you know challenges to uh, um, uh, to Goliath. And and so that is very that is very exciting and exhilarating for us too, right? You've seen obviously Netflix is an example of that. Hulu, uh, many others across all these different industries. You've seen Airbnb come and disrupt. Uh, the way uh, hotels um, have worked and change the way business models even operate. And so we're excited about new entrants in this space. Uh, one of those examples, by the way, is a very cool company called uh, Chingari. Um, uh, we didn't talk about social media and, and maybe I'll touch on this, but you know, you, you can go out there and have conversations with uh, you know Twitter and all these other social media companies, but there are other social media products out there in, in market today. Chingari started off in India they incorporated 15 different languages. Um, how cool is that? They're now across 15 different countries um, and have uh, users uh, globally, 45 million monthly active users, actually. And they thought, well, you know, yes, it's great to pay our creators, but how, how cool would it be if we had a creator economy built natively into the application? And they have the Gari token that does that. Um, they, they, and they were you know, building on another protocol um, in the past, um, that just didn't allow them to scale. Uh, they were able to get 2 million of their 45 million users on chain until that protocol really started to struggle to keep up with that, uh, with that demand for, so, for that social media product. And so they came across uh, and, and reached out to us and we had some great conversations with the Chingari team. And now, you know, we're excited to bring 45 million users on chain in a way that they won't even know that they're using Aptos. I'm happy. I don't want people to know that they're using Aptos. I want them to be excited that they can uh, reward creators and tip them and, and, and really create meaningful experiences. That's the most, that's the most proud moment that web three can ever have. And, and so, you know, we don't talk about these things in a distant, this is actually happening right now, by the way, um, which is, which is really cool to see. Um, last point that I'll make, you know, like we feel so proud of, of this technology, like you and I would love to, you know, we're nerding out right now and probably can go on and on about how digital ownership really matters. But th the fact is, you know, sometimes, sometimes the user just, they don't care. And that's, we should be okay with that, right? Like when I'm using Zoom, I, I don't know if AWS is powering it or GCP is powering it. No, I don't it. know what web browser you're on. I don't care, you know? Yeah, I just love that I get to hang out with you. And that's all that matters. The technology just fades into the background. And so, you know, just like you don't care about which, which cloud server um, or service is providing um, your experience, you shouldn't care about what's allowing you to own your digital assets. And that's the world that we want to be in for Web3. Um, and just the digital future. And that's going to be a very exciting one for us to be on. It is. And there's the one final thing that needs to get solved to make it seamless is interoperability. Because people don't want to feel like, well, I can only use an Aptos wallet or a Solana wallet or a Bitcoin wallet. They just want to move their assets around and they don't care. Like like we talked about, I don't know what, what internet you're on, what provider you're on. I don't know anything. The developers, they can decide what that is. But as an end user... I shouldn't care, and I don't want to have a bloody phantom wallet and a MetaMask wallet, and a. It just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, putting aside your preferences uh, or anyone's preferences of uh, uh, Apple OS or Microsoft or Google OS or Linux, right? Like, you just again want to have the best experience possible, and uh, you want there to be interoperability across those different platforms. And so, you know, we we believe in the same. Um, you know, we hope we're, we're excited about things like bridges that solve uh, interoperability as best as they can today. Uh, but we believe there's, you know, more work to be done there. They continue to strengthen. Um, and you see things like wormhole um, uh, and, and, and things like 
uh, pith as, as oracles solve these issues. Um, but there's, there's more work to do, and we're excited about the, the work that the Jump Team um, and the Wormhole Team um, is doing in this space. But um, you're, you're exactly right, right? Like if I have Bitcoin or if I have an NFT on Ethereum or if I have an NFT in some other protocol, I want to be able to take it wherever I want to go. If I want to supercharge it and put it on Aptos, I should be able to do that without even knowing I'm putting it on Aptos. I just want this application to be working s- seamlessly. And so, you know, we we shouldn't uh, think about things in in in, uh, in a way that you know we're, uh, we want our protocol to be outward facing um, and customer touching. We want it to be done in a way that again, it's it's just kind of ubiquitous and fades uh, fades into the background. And so, um, Aptos does that already today, right? Like if you have um, I saw some cool NFTs flashing in the background there. Um, if you wanted to bring, um, you know, uh, a CryptoPunk or, you know, um, um, I, I don't know what collection that is right now. That look, That's very cool. That's an mf Oh, wow. That's nice. That's nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to bring your mf over to Aptos and into a, an Aptos application, it should be a click of a button and you should be able to play a cool game with your mf That's it. Yeah. Mo, look, fantastic conversation. We've gone everywhere from finance to real estate to being first-generation immigrants and the whole thing. So, look, super interesting, really excited what you guys are up to. You're at the forefront. Keep pushing, keep going. We'll get there in the end. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure, Roel. I'm, I'm a big fan, and uh, it's an honor to, to, to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's just it was great to speak to you. I was just... You know, I always get slightly intimidated thinking, well, how do I know about the technology? But we're actually all excited about the same thing, but we come with different experiences and stuff. And that's why I think people find all these kind of conversations so rewarding because everyone brings part of the equation together and 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 it becomes interesting. So listen, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My key takeaways from talking to Mo is that, Look, he's come from a similar background to me, although he's obviously smarter and a technologist as well. But seeing the finance side, he kind of understands the core issues of the system that we currently have. But also, he has the vision to see what Web3 could become and how a system like Aptos can empower it. And I think it's having that limitless understanding of where we could go gives you an ability to move forwards further and faster. If we really want to get from you know, the 300 million people who've interacted with crypto to multiple billion people, we've got to think big and we've got to think at scale. And these new solutions are really helping, whether it's Solana, Aptos, Layer 2s, they're all piecing together part of the jigsaw puzzle that is incredibly important. And I think, you know, Aptos, much like the conversation with um, with Polygon as well, shows that there's some people really, really moving this space forward, and it's amazing. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 